0: You're listening to Masters of Digital Transformation, brought to you by AIM 10X and hosted by Tony Saldana.
1: Hey, welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation. I'm your host, Tony Saldana, and each episode we bring you industry stories with insights into some of the top challenges around digital transformation, of course, with a specific interest in planning. Now, I am very excited today because uh, my guest today is Helen Davis, uh, Beauty and Personal Care Head of Supply Chain at Unilever. But more importantly, Helen has led supply chains all over the world, including the Middle East and India and China and Germany, and of course, the US. She has driven digital transformation in some of the biggest CPG companies in the world. And she's a mentor and an inspirational figure for women in supply chain. Welcome to the show, Helen.
0: Thank you so much, Tony. I hope I can live up to the hype. Okay. It's a pleasure to be here and excited for the conversation today.
1: Oh, this is going to be fun. I have been looking forward to this, Helen, because you've had some of the most diverse global experiences that I've seen recently from an incredible start on hourly wages at the uh, Minute made company to uh, the Middle East and India and China and so on and so forth to the US back here in 2015 and then further on Estée Lauder and now of course uh, Unilever. But uh, let's start with your first day on the job in Minute made. Tell us a little more about that day and then the journey that took you from that hourly wages job to being a global leader on this topic?
0: I think it's a good example of how the job market changes. Because when I graduated from college in microbiology, the job market was tough. Uh, It was hard to get a a role. So to get your foot in the door, you had to start as an hourly worker. Whereas today, I think most college grads start at the supervisor level in the factory. So I started actually in quality in the lab inside a factory for, for the Minute Maid company and quickly moved into a brownfield startup factory where I started really getting interested in manufacturing more so than quality and started double hatting roles, actually doing night shift supervision for both sides of the business, both functions. And I learned how to fix things. I probably should have been an engineer. <laughs> I learned how to fix things to make it run, right? Because we were doing a brownfield startup. So everything that could go wrong always goes wrong on the night shift when you have yeah, the least course. amount of people there. But I learned a lot from <laughs> That experience. So I really started getting interested in manufacturing more and more and moved up the ranks that way. I did some short stints back in quality later on in my career, but I think it was a great start. And of course, there's roads, there's bumpy roads along the way, especially for women in supply chain at that moment in time. It's gotten better since then, but you know, it was a good experience.
1: Oh man. And then of course, your career took even more interesting paths with stints all over the world. Tell our listeners a little more on how that came about. Did you seek that out or were you always open to opportunities? You like travel?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I love travel. My parents took me all around the world when I was young, but I never thought about my career as much when I was younger. And as I started getting interested in more and more parts of the supply t- chain and mm-hmm. not manufacturing. I was very lucky. I I had a great mentor and manager that took a risk on me and allowed me the opportunity to go into these other spaces, to to go into Egypt and work on a maintenance center of excellence, to move then into logistics and, and, and manage over India and China. And those experiences really helped me think about my career as well to say, maybe I can do more. And maybe I really want to be an end to end supply chain leader. But I consciously started thinking, I think about 10 years into my career, what else do I need in my, my repertoire to be uh, a good end-to-end supply chain leader? And I saw supply chain leaders at that time really going up the ranks in one function. Uh, so I knew I'd, I wanted to diversify my functional experience. So getting that logistics portion was helpful. And then going to Germany afterwards and first going into manufacturing, but then moving into end-to-end planning was really helpful. Now, that was a challenge because I had to learn German.
1: Oh, Oh, did you? Wow, I, I did.
0: Well, I forced myself to learn German in about six months. I was really worried because I thought I didn't really take a lot of classes I was learning by listening, but I really wanted to be able to talk to the factory floor because having started on night shift as an hourly employee. I vowed I would never forget what that felt like. And uh-huh. that if I'm coming into a factory as a senior leader, that I don't forget who's really running the show. Uh-huh. And when I was at Coca-Cola, you could say, somebody said to me once, oh, you're in a very high position, a very important role. I said, if I don't show up tomorrow, nothing will happen. Business uh-huh. will be as usual. But uh-huh. if the filler operators doesn't show up tomorrow, then we got issues, then there's a problem in supply. So I always try to make sure that I'm staying in touch with with the frontline and really getting their feedback and what reality is.
1: Oh, that is so nice. And I'm really glad that you decided to diversify in the supply chain because now it's allowed you to push the envelope in the entire area. When we talked recently, um, you had a really interesting idea. You called it pulling the string through the supply chain using technology where we can integrate end-to-end connection points using artificial intelligence and so on and so forth. If you wouldn't mind, describe for me and our listeners the vision this.
0: Right. I look at a uh, supply chain It's a chain, right? There's a ripple effect. And mm-hmm. if a customer pulls out too much inventory, suddenly you're making all these phone calls and mm-hmm. emails are flying back and forth. And how do we recover? What can I do differently? And I think back in the nineties, everybody was talking about this demand driven supply chain. Whereas <laughs> today, let's throw my forecast out the window because I know it'll never be right. And exactly. how do I have an agile supply chain that can react? And how do I digest more data? And I think today when most companies are looking at using artificial intelligence and machine learning and actually pulling that together with more cognitive type of automation where the system is actually taking action for you based on data, we're looking in our supply chain box and saying, what information can I gather within my supply chain? But my vision is really, why should there be any barriers between my supply chain and the supplier's supply chain and the customer's supply chain? And why don't we pull that string all the way through our entire ecosystem and say, what data can I sit on top of that my customer has or my supplier has, and really do an end-to-end supply chain ecosystem Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, that takes all of this into account? So. For example, if something on the customer shelf is flying off like hotcakes, I should be able to see that I don't have inventory at in, in their yeah. back of their house. I, I don't have inventory in their DC, automatically adjust my, rebalance my inventory or change my production schedule, order my raw and packed materials that I need. So that should be all completely automated versus all this emails and, and, and meetings to. I need to react to this. The computers and the machine learning is much faster than we'll ever be. So I think we need to exploit that. And the key is finding the customers and suppliers that are willing to partner with you on this journey and seeing if they're game to try this as well, because I think it's very cutting edge.
1: Oh, for sure. I think at a time when companies are still falling over each other to at least try and get to this vision of a demand-driven supply chain, you're now stretching their minds to say go beyond your own company and of course end to end even within one company difficult how do you even do that across retail and manufacturing where to start do you find that it's really difficult to get some of your retailers to work along with you on this idea
0: yeah I think it's about what's in it for both sides of Mm. of both parties when you do this right especially if you're looking at highly profitable products that are running through the system or maybe out of stocking more often than you are able to provide. And that's the benefit, right? That revenue loss for both of us, how do we get that back? And I I don't think we need to start huge, right? I think starting little and saying, what is the minimal amount of information I need for these SKUs to maybe make sure that I'm providing you the service that you need and we both win in the marketplace. And I think that's the selling point with the customers is to be able to show that transparently that this is where we win. This is how we win together and let's trial it. Let's be cutting edge together and use technology to help us exploit this. So I've had a few customers in my past life that have been interested. We hadn't taken that next step, hoping that we can take this next step maybe further than just discussion.
1: Yeah, no, it's absolutely brilliant. There is not a doubt in my mind that this is where the industry is headed eventually. A a few decades ago, there were pieces written in the Harvard uh, Business Review about the virtual corporation, because eventually going from your customer to yourself, to your supplier, as far as the consumer is concerned, that's one virtual corporation and, and legal entities are just structures to help you manage the financials and other stakeholders. So What you are doing is you're challenging the industry to say, how do we use technology that's available now that was not previously available to bring this to life? So it's very, very exciting. And it's also good, Helen, to see that you're clear-eyed about the challenges. Of course, this is not going to happen overnight. Like most other really disruptive leaders, you're aware of what the tension points are but you're also very clear about how you might overcome them. So I suspect there's a lot of tension points, even among customers and yourself, sharing of competitor data, for example, or getting into real-time information within the uh, uh, company as, as opposed to MRP2 type of batch data, or even the readiness within your own company in terms of data and systems and stuff like that. Talk to us, if you would, about some of these tension points and how you plan to overcome some of those challenges.
0: Yeah, I think it's great points. And I think maybe starting with the uh, customer-supplier relationship, uh, tension points or potential tension points, I, I think we can never ask for competitor data necessarily from our customers, but there's other ways to get competitor data of what's happening in the market as well. So yes. I think we have to use those advantage points and, and not put our customers on the spot to say, I need this data. And I think what we can say is, what is the data for my portfolio that you can give me? Here's where we could start. Do you have this data? Of course, a lot of companies have POS data today, but I think there's so many other data points that we could use. Safety stock settings. When you change your safety stock settings, sometimes we don't get that information. A lot of times we don't get that information until it's too late. And suddenly we see a spike in demand and we're not understanding where it's coming from until we have those conversations with our customers. So I think those things are the areas to go to first and fish versus going to the uh, competitor data, which I think will be beneficial, but maybe not a first step. And then you start to build the trust that Maybe this could work, right? Maybe uh-huh. this is beneficial. And then you can go to the next step and say, okay, now what, what else do I need in your landscape? You know, What promos are going on at the same time? Were there price reductions in other areas of your shelf that maybe impact? Because you can also say, I can reduce your inventory impact as well. We, we know you're not going to buy my product when a competitor's product is uh, discounted. For example during that moment in time. So I think that's helpful too. But I think, like I said, second step, I think internally, there's a big culture change that happens, uh-huh. right? When I've done things internally in the past, not with the customer, there's always that fear that what if I help implement that, I lose my job yeah. in, in my past life. I haven't done that. I've refocused planners, for example, into innovation because innovations are exploding. There's personalization, consumer-specific innovations That are going on. So our portfolio is proliferating quickly. And to be able to refocus your staff on innovations where technology won't really help you today to get the understanding of pushing these through on a manufacturing line. Uh So I think that piece we need to be that needs to be clear on the change management that's not going to happen. And secondly, there has to be a bit of excitement and and more bottoms up approach on implementing because you need the executive sponsorship, Uh but But you need to be executing from the bottom up and really listening to the employees of saying what's working, what's not working as we go through this. I used to have weekly meetings with my team just to make sure that I was hearing from them what what, the, what was happening real time with cognitive automation and things like that. The tendency is always to blame the system first, right? Yeah. I was a bit cruel. I locked the planners out of the system so that they couldn't touch it. They could only know you know, have alert systems that something may be happening. And it turned out that the system was ninety nine percent of the time, but we had to wait to see what happened. If it was the ten percent drop in demand is that reality, you know, and, and it turned out to be reality.
1: Yeah, now that's absolutely fabulous because the change management is where ninety percent of these major transformations fail, even. When you do get the data, it is the human element that eventually does tend to be the hardest. And and of course, I can see from your own personal experiences all the way through taking the opportunity to learn German, to walk the factory floor and, and, and speak language, that you'd be very focused on it. And I will come back to the people angle. But let me stay with technology for a little bit. One of the biggest challenges in supply chain, of course, is that the way supply chains are run all over the world whether you know you use SAP software or Microsoft or Oracle or you know whatever it is is still based on the 1960s or 50s MRP2, Olly White, stage by stage. You optimize one thing, you optimize the plan for demand forecast, and then you optimize your manufacturing, and then you optimize your logistics. And this is all done in sequence. And then the biggest scalable technology that exists still does that in sequence rather than optimizing using algorithms end-to-end. How do you approach that?
0: It's interesting because as you're rolling out something like this, you have to take pieces. You can take an end-to-end piece of the supply um, chain, um, but it has to be able to be implemented in a six-month sprint. I say if exactly it's any longer so. than six-month yeah. sprints, then people lose interest, right? If it's a three-year implementation plan, it likely won't work. If you take one, one part of that, if you say, I'm going to look at my on-time-in-full impact, yeah all the way across the supply chain. There's a lot of models that already predict where you're gonna get your cuts, where you're gonna have stock issues. But what, what if you had the messaging coming through, like who is driving that impact through the business? Is it logistics because I don't have my inventory balanced or the planning team because they didn't deploy or is it manufacturing because they didn't produce it on time? And I, I think those type of sprints are easily able to pull the string through the entire supply chain, at least within your supply chain, maybe not your cust- your ecosystem supply chain. To be able to do that in a six-month sprint, I think is very feasible and gets end-to-end visibility quickly and personal accountability quickly. So what is my impact as a supply planner on the revenue? Because I need to do my, my something in the system. Now you see this, the millennials coming in and the new generation coming in that switch companies quite often, a lot more often than my uh-huh. generation X. So how do you make a planner that's coming in on day one as good as your planner that's been sitting there for 20 years? And this type of technology helps you do that.
1: Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Now, you've got a lot to be proud of, but I'm going to stay away from the technology and the visioning and the leadership and now pivot a little bit into the organization. It's very clear you're a people person. What fulfills you there? I know you've also played a big leadership role in a kind of paving the path for um, women in supply chain. What are you most proud of all of the work there?
0: Yeah. Interesting enough. I used to be an introvert when I was young. Uh, really? <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I think I turned into an extrovert. Everybody in my company has a purpose, but my purpose is to rise up by lifting others. And I really almost get a bit of a high seeing the people that I've developed or coached going into roles sometimes beyond where I'm at. So it's great to see. And I think, like I said before, I've had managers and leaders that took risks on me and and put me into roles that maybe I wasn't quite ready for, but knew that I could make it. And so I want to be able to give that back. And especially for women in supply chain. I didn't have the mentorship when I was younger. And I want to try to make sure my weekends are really filled with calls with former employees or others that I just want to help. And it's not all women. It's I I also focus on minorities in supply chain but not only. So I just, I I really thrive helping others where maybe I wanted the help when I was younger. I got that later on in my career, but I I didn't have it at a young age. And so far it's, for me, it's really a motivator to continue in supply chain. And when I retire, I'll probably continue to do that and teach classes and and do all that stuff because it's, I don't know, brings something out of me and and brightens my life.
1: I'm I'm glad that you find that fulfilling. I'm sure people that look upon you as a mentor and and of course as a pioneer in this space uh, really do need you to continue to do that. It's very nice to see. You've been a pioneer, as I said, in technology as well. And this being a somewhat technology-oriented show, I wanted to see if we could get a story out of you around technology transformation.
0: Yeah, sure. I've done a lot of technologies, but I think probably the one that I'm most proud of doing is really putting autopilot into forecasting. And it was really an interesting approach because, and this is the example that I said that I had to lock the planners out of the systems, but it was a learning experience. We started small with 13 SKUs. Let's see how it runs. We're like, oh, this results are awful. But the machine learning picked up and you could start to see this improvement happening over time. So we said, okay, we're going to put these 13 SKUs in live, uh, see how, see how they perform. And it was working. We had created metrics to say something is going wrong. So we said, okay, after about a month, we're, we're good. And we were running other SKUs in parallel. And we had really segmented the SKUs, highly volatile SKUs, mm-hmm. highly promoted SKUs. We didn't touch low volatility, low promote SKUs was the first area we went to go fish. So, as we put the next set of uh, SKUs in, you could see this. Actually, we went live and we dropped off after a month. So, everything in SNOP was lost. Like for SNOP discussions, wow. everything was gone. Now, I think the key to success in those kinds of situations is how fast do you fix the problem? And how do you react to it from a change man- management perspective? The first thing we did is we got it fixed within 24 hours, found the issue. Now, the planners had to rebuild everything from scratch after that. So I canceled SNOP. Right. So I said, no SNOP this month, which is huge, right? Because it's oh, yeah. all the way bubbling up to the top. It's like, we had to stop SNOP this month. And, but those are the choices you have to make as a leader to say, I can't have my team so under pressure to build this plan bottoms up again, because our systems were 15 years old and then also do SNOP. Uh-huh. Right. So it was a choice. And we learned from that. So I think that partnership between IT and supply chain needs to be very strong in order to help that transformation happen. So we learned from that. We put the next set of SKUs in, nothing, everything worked. And so then we started being on autopilot. And I think through this, all the planners started to trust the system as well. Mm -hmm. And really get excited about it as well. They did a lot of videos for other countries, so people could learn from their experiences. And I think it really highlighted the talent that we had at that level of the organization, which was a really young team that were just so excited about the the prospects. And, and we had a lot of great results too: reduction of inventory, increased forecast, better service across the board. Our customers also felt the impact, which was great. Helen.
1: So far, we've talked about you as the professional. I want to change that a little bit and and talk about you as a person. So if you wouldn't mind, we'd would love to hear from you either an anecdote or, or something about yourself that most people may not know.
0: Yeah, I grew up in a small town in Montana. Most people don't know that about me because they think mm-hmm. I'm This city girl, I've traveled the world. International
1: person, yes.
0: (laughs) International person. And I grew up in a rural area of, in Eastern Montana of about 4,500 people. There Ah. was an oil boom there, but it, it reverted back. And think about growing up there. My family's from India. My parents immigrated to Germany first. They didn't teach me any German, unfortunately. I wish they did. My dad went to medes- medical school. My my mom went to n- uh, nursing school. They married there and then moved to the U.S. And my parents moved to Montana because they thought the crime rate was really low. After living in Washington, D.C. in the 70s, <laughs> of course, you know, it, it was murder capital of the world at the time. So they moved to this little town in Montana and it was the integration obviously was rough. And you have great people there that are so sweet. But there was also this like newness of foreigners really. So of coming in and so life uh, could be tough at times. And uh, interesting enough, one of my sisters said, I'm not sure if I had to go back and do it again, if I would grow up there, I said, I would do it again in a second because Mm -hmm. it made me the person I am today. So I'm, I I was, I said, introverted when I was growing up at first. But I, I learned how to use my voice there and how to communicate better there and get people to understand that we're not so different after all. Right. And how do you persuade people that have a, a certain mindset to see things differently? So I said this to her and she said, yeah, I didn't think about it that way. But, you know, I think less people don't know that about me that I've lived through this period in life that taught me a lot of things that I use in the business world today.
1: Oh, wow. I, I have to say, you know, if you hadn't shared this thing about Montana, I would have pictured you as growing up either in California, New York, New Jersey. <laughs> yes, I, I can see why that would be a surprise. Well, also, thank you very much for sharing. I, that's very nice of you. Because I think it, it it some of our listeners, hopefully, an indication of how we can learn from very different situations. Personally, I traveled a lot as well. And as they were growing up, from time to time, we would drag our two daughters from a stable existence in one city to another one and they've reacted differently, but hopefully they picked up a little bit uh, from each of those places. So again, thank you for sharing. But one final question before I let you go, if you were to look at the aspiring Helens out there and give them some advice on what they should do and what they should focus on today, what would that look like?
0: I always say the number one thing is be curious, not just about technology, but but about everything. I never had in my ulterior motive, I need to be chief supply chain officer. I, I always had on my ulterior motive, am I still learning? And am I being challenged? Is it still a challenge? Because if it's not a challenge and I'm not learning, then I get bored. So I think that's what helped me in my career. And I've seen other people focus on getting that next role, getting that higher position. And it only takes you so far because you tend to forget about the people. And I think that people approach is so important because you learn. I learn from the person on the floor just as much as I learn from senior leadership. So that curiosity to learn, I think, is the best thing for a great career.
1: I couldn't think of a better advice myself. Well, thank you, Helen. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. I know I've gained at least one really big breakthrough idea of where the supply chain's headed. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for being on our show.
0: Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it, Tony.
1: And of course, to all of our listeners out there, uh, thank you for uh, joining us. As, As usual, make sure you subscribe at our website. And until next time, don't just implement planning redefine it
0: Thank you for listening to Masters of Digital Transformation For more information be sure to check out www.09solutions.com/aim10x